Well, I want to give you guys a heads up before I get going, and you know that, that there may be um, something in the passage that may be a little bit sketchy if I'm giving you a heads up right at the beginning. And uh, so here's the heads up. I want to give you this heads up. This passage that we've hit today in our ongoing journey through Luke, um, being Luke chapter 6, is radically countercultural. It is radical in the truest sense of radical. I want to tell you that because it's going to seem eerily personal to a lot of you guys in this room. I want you to know I've not been reading your email. I've not been peeping through your window. Um, None of that stuff. It's going to be eerily personal. And then it's going to be intensely practical for a lot of you guys in this room. All right. So I say that to say, and I mean this seriously... I want to offer to you ahead of time, uh, this week, next week, all year. I mean, I am available to you. I would love to meet with you. I'll pay for your meal. I'll grab coffee with you. I'll meet you here at the church. Um, I would also like to offer Jim and Kelly Delver um, as well. Uh, Jim is a certified biblical counselor. I know a lot of you guys are already meeting with him. (laughs) And we're pushing his bandwidth as much as we can until he tells us and they tell us to stop. Uh, But if you need counsel with them, uh, they are available. And then, of course, uh, we have some ladies in our church like Prathema and Angela and and some of the elders. Um, All of the elders are available to you, okay? So I want to say that up front. Know that we're all available. Some people are going to need to hear that ahead of time because as we go through this, it's going to potentially rip off some scabs. And this is just one of those passages. And so if it rips the scab off, I also want you to know that, man, I also believe this passage has the power to heal you in a way that nothing else can heal you. It's got the potential to set you free in a way that you cannot be set free in any other way. So fair warning, all right? If you receive that heads up, go, I got it, got it, okay? All right, if, if, you, don't, if you don't receive it, then this is a good time to bolt, Okay? <laughs> Given you, we gave you the fair warning. But we do journey exegetically through scriptures, and we've made it to um, Luke chapter 6, and we're going to do that today. Uh, Jarrett's last message in Luke 6 reminded us that our, our kingdom citizenship really is more valuable than our American citizenship. And, and so that was that whole blessed reality. If you're in Christ, then you're a part of this blessed kingdom. This different kingdom. And that citizenship is way more valuable than our American citizenship. And Jarrett did a fantastic job teaching through that. And um, as, as he was teaching through that, and I was listening to it online, as he was thinking through that, I really did kind of think through American citizenship versus kingdom citizenship in terms of the Declaration of Independence, You all know this. The Declaration of Independence says to us that we all have the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Yeah. And so we get that, and and we we feel that deeply because we're Americans. But in Scripture, what we're promised is life and liberty. But as Jesus is saying, not the pursuit of happiness, but the pursuit of blessedness. Catch that. The American citizenship says you can have life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And Scripture has been teaching, particularly through where Jared walked us through this last text, 
Listen, yes, life, yes, liberty, but the pursuit of blessedness, a different kingdom. That's two totally different kingdoms that are set up. It's two diametrically opposed kingdoms with two different kings and two different sets of values. And so let's look at this. So for kingdom citizens, what Jarrett walked us through in the text, Jesus said this. As kingdom citizens, and it'll be on the screen, earthly poverty will give way to kingdom riches that are forevermore. So being a part of Christ's kingdom and kingdom citizens, blessed are the poor. Poorness will, it, it will give way to, to riches forevermore in the coming kingdom. We're reminded of that. Also as kingdom citizens, earthly hunger will give way to kingdom feasts. And one of my favorite passages of scripture is indeed Isaiah 25, which says, One day we'll be in a kingdom with a feast of rich foods and well-aged wine. Well-aged wine. Repeated twice. That means it's not going to be Franzia in a box. All right? It... It is going to be, it's going to be a kingdom feast. And that again, I know some of you guys are like, wait, what did he just say? Go read Isaiah 25. I didn't write it, okay? Uh, so this is what's going to be prepared for us. And that's going to give way. Also as kingdom citizens, weeping will give way to belly splitting laughter one day. That's what we inherit as a part of the blessed kingdom. It's one of the, growing up, some of the funniest laughs I had was in church. When something gets you tickled. And you don't want to laugh out loud, but you start shaking. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? And then somebody's nudging you going, don't you dare let that. It's just, you know, just one of those. It's part of kingdom citizens. We'll have that. Our weeping will give way to laughter. And then earthly rejection will give way to kingdom leaping um, just over our joyful acceptance that we've been accepted in Christ. All of that will give way. And I love the illustration that Jared gave of leaping goats. Did anybody catch that? He referenced just joy as in a leaping goat. And we'll get that as kingdom citizens. We'll hop around like giddy goats. Elated, not that we're just in the kingdom, but elated that our sins have been transferred away from us and we have nothing but righteousness because of Christ. We'll get that. That's who we are. So yes, it may be hell on earth. To be a part of the kingdom citizenship. But hell on earth will give way to heaven. That's what it looks like. And today we're going to pick back up with the woes. The flip side of that as we continue in the journey. And woes may sound ominous. But it's not really ominous. It really is just the flip side. The other side of kingdom citizenship. If you're not a part of the kingdom. Then you have the woes. You're part of another citizenship, that being worldly citizenship. And that's the woe, okay? So, so don't take the woes and, and know that we're coming to the text and you're reading all these woes going, I don't sell. that don't sell real fun. We should have just skipped that text. It really is just the flip side. So let's kind of pick back up and we'll see that the woes really are just the contrast of not the blessed kingdom, but the worldly kingdom or the fact that we sometimes can just chase cheap, fleeting ending lifeless values if we're not careful. We'll just kind of slip into what the world says is good. And so what we'll see is 
the other kingdom living a part of this kingdom may be heaven on earth, but it'll give way to hell. And that's the dire warning or why Christ says, whoa, be careful about this. So let's look at this. So you've got kingdom citizenship, and on the screen I'm going to put up where we continue in the text, verse 24, worldly citizens. And so here's the woes. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. In other words, being a part of the worldly kingdom, earthly riches will one day give way to eternal bankruptcy. That's why the woe. And then he goes on to say this, but woe to you who are full now... For you shall be hungry, or, in other words, earthly fullness will give way to eternal starvation. And then he says, but woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and you shall weep, or earthly laughter will give way to eternal sorrow. And then he goes on to say this, and and woe to you when people speak well of you, For so their fathers did to the false prophets. In other words, earthly accolades will one day give way to earthly rejection. And I think when you see those two paralleled, and you may never have read the scripture like that, but that's what's going on in the text. When you see those paralleled with one another, you see that Jesus is just going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And he's setting up those two kingdoms. And he's saying, listen... Be careful that you don't find yourself in the, in the woe category, right? So now maybe the woes make a little more sense to us. So again, Jesus has this explanation of these two kingdoms that are totally set apart. And you've got to ask the question, well, why is he saying these things? Is Jesus trying to gain a following? Or is he trying to sift out who's going to follow him or not? And I think it's this. I think he's he's saying, this is the price. This is what it looks like to to be a part of my kingdom. So why is he saying these things? I'm going to offer you two answers to that. One, I think he's saying these things because truthful love is way more valuable than whitewash love, isn't it? When people are honest and truthful with you, man, that is true love. And then that whitewash love of you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay, don't really worry about it. That's... That's not love at all. And so Jesus is offering truthful love. He's saying, listen, I love you enough to tell you that this kingdom is more real than the kingdom that you're experiencing now. The heavenly kingdom, the eternal kingdom is more real than what you're facing right now, no matter what your situation is. And so he sets up these kingdoms. And he says that for two reasons, I think. He's being truthful with them. Number one, because culturally, they've lost all of their identity. The Romans have come in and the Romans have wiped out every piece of identity they have. They grew up as a culture being a part of kingdom identity. All the things on the blessed side, right? We're following the Lord. Everything is for the Lord. Our lives are for the Lord. The Romans come in, crush them, and now they're questioning, wait a second. Are we God's people or not God's people? Has God forgot about us? And they've started embracing the world's ways. Maybe life is about me. Maybe, And so he's saying this to them culturally because their identity has been crushed. Their identity is constantly changing. And then not only culturally but humanly, hey, we battle that too, don't we? Now, it's not the Romans that come in and crush us. But sometimes it's our spouse that crushes us. 
Some, don't, please don't nobody say amen. Right? <laughs> I mean, not right now. I mean, you can say it later. You know, uh, sometimes it's our coworker that crushes us. Sometimes it's that neighbor that crushes us. Sometimes it's a father that crushes us. Sometimes it's a mother that crushes us. Sometimes it's our own head that crushes us. Sometimes it's a boss that crushes us. Sometimes it's a Facebook post that crushes us. We'll talk about that later. Uh, There's all kind of things that crush us. And then we start warring for, okay, what is my identity? And so he's not just saying this, hey, Jews, you need to be careful. But he's saying to us in 2023, hey, you need to be careful. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Don't slip into that kingdom. Know who you are. Know what you stand for. And I'll be the one, Jesus says, to point out that you have mustard on your shirt. I love you enough to tell you, hey, you need to get the mustard off your shirt and wear my royal garments. All right? And then number two, I think he tells us not just because truthful love is more valuable than whitewash love, but number two, he tells us these things because our rebirth certificate is far more valuable than our birth certificate. And now you're wondering where your birth certificate is, right? Nobody knows where we place those things, right? Uh, But our rebirth certificate is way more valuable than our birth certificate. And one day, each of us will behold the heavenly kingdom. Death is batting a thousand. And I know some of you Bible scholars are like, nah. 99.9%. 99.9%. There's a couple of people who escaped. Okay, that's fine. All right. It's, death is still, it's going to hit us, okay? And we're going to face the heavenly kingdom. Like, that's coming. And when we enter in towards the kingdom one day, and we sing the kingdom, there's no way to slip in the backside. Like, there's no fence to jump over. There's no way to skirt your way in. There's, there's no way, you know, to... to your money is going to do no good when you enter in towards that kingdom. Your popularity is going to do no good when you enter into that kingdom. Uh, your passport may get you to Jamaica, praise the Lord. It may get you to all kinds of places, but your passport won't get you in. The only thing that gets you into that kingdom is to be able to walk in and go, Hey, I'm a citizen of this kingdom. And then to have Jesus stand there and go, yes, look, I notarized that one. He's in because of me. Nothing that he did, nothing that he earned, nothing that he worked his way in. He's in because he is mine. That's what gets us in. And so Jesus is saying this to say, listen, I want you to know the truth. There are two kingdoms, not to scare you, but because I want to welcome you into my kingdom as your king. That's why he's saying these things. That's, that's, that's really neat stuff. And so our entry depends on the king's willingness to swear that we are indeed legal citizens. And Jesus is saying, hang with me. And I'll get you in. On my merit. Because your merit never matches anything. That's why he says these things. So let's read the rest of today's text and see what else Jesus has to say. Verse 27, he says this. He says, to, so because there's these two kingdoms, to you who hear, which the implication is that some what? Some won't hear, right? So to you who hear, some of you won't hear, 
But to you who hear, to you whose identity's been changed, uh, to you who are on the blessed side of the graph, right? Here's your marching orders. If you're part of the kingdom, here are, here's what it looks like to live this out. And the reason I think he says this is because I think a lot of times we're so addicted to our American earthly rights that we neglect our heavenly obligations. And so he's going to say, because you're kingdom citizens, here, here's what that obligation looks like. And I'm going to call it this. I, I'm, as we walk through it, he's going to give us this decree, this marching order, to be a people of non-reciprocal love. Now, this is where it's about to start getting sketchy. Right? So track with me. But he's going to decree that we live out a non-reciprocal love, or we're going to, we're going to be a people, if we're of this kingdom, who lives lives that are marked with a love that doesn't expect anything from anybody else, that doesn't demand anything from anybody else, and um, doesn't anticipate anything from anybody else when we do good. So he says, this is what it's going to look like to live this out. So let's walk through this now. Because you're a part of that kingdom, here's your marching orders. Love your enemies. What? Like... Most of you, you're already out, aren't you? <laughs> you're like, now that was enough, Troy. We can, ha- we can stop right now. Love your enemies. And when I law about Jesus' words, your brain instantly went to your enemies, didn't it? Right? And you're thinking, oh, I-, I can't love them. So this decree is this. You need to go love those who reciprocate your love by rallying against you as an opponent. That's how you live out the kingdom life. Love those who will take your love, not reciprocate it back, and they will reciprocate with more rallying against you as your enemy. Love that person. He goes on to say this, to be a part of my kingdom, do good to those who hate you, or do good to those who reciprocate your goodness with snarls and ill will. Bless those who curse you. Bless those who will reciprocate Your blessing with spitting venom back at you. Pray for those that abuse you. That's stung across this room to so many people. Bless those who... Pray for those who abuse you. Pray for those who will reciprocate your patience with them by plotting your demise. Offer the other cheek to the one who strikes you. Or stay present for those who will reciprocate that with more anger. From the one who takes your cloak, and a cloak was an outer garment. From the one who takes your outer garment, give him your underwear as well. This is what this text says. Your tunic was the long undergarment. So in other words, so give to the one who will reciprocate your giving by what? Taking everything you got. Give to the beggar. Give to the one who will reciprocate your giving to them with begging you for more and more and more and more and more. Don't demand good back from the one who takes from you. So be gracious knowing that your graciousness will be reciprocated with apathy. Right? You loan your tool, your sawzall, 
I use that as a hypothetical illustration because somebody really did take mine and I still don't have a Sawzall anymore. And you loan your Sawzall and they took it and they're not giving it back and they moved out of city in this scenario. Uh, and I certainly am not going to drive across the country to get a Sawzall. Um, sorry, rabbit. Soop, pull it back in. And be patient with them, knowing that if you're patient with them, then they may want to take your skill saw too. They're not going to get my skill saw, but, right? Um, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. In other words, what do we want people to do for us? We want people to give us time, energy, effort. I want you to be gracious with me. I want you to love me. I want you to be tender to me. I want you to be kind to me. I want you to respect me. I, want, I mean, we say this to our kids, don't you? Don't, you will respect me, <laughs> right? I want those things from you. And he says, hey, what you want, give that to other people. That, that's what it looks like to live in the kingdom perspective. And can I be dead honest with you? When I read that, I go, Jesus, <laughs> number one, that don't make in good Northportian. That don't make a lick of sense. And then number two, in my head, I go, not only does it not make sense, but that's impossible. That is absolutely impossible. It's not how the world works. I don't have that in me to pull that off. And then you know how Jesus responds? You know. I knew you'd respond that way and that was exactly exactly my point. Because it's not the way the world works, but it's the way my world works. And you don't have the ability to pull that off. But my spirit in you has the ability to do supernaturally what you cannot do. Which is why the title is Supernatural Love. So, a couple notables and then we'll move on. <clears throat> I want to say this because again, I'm so... I know I, we're here for counsel, okay? Know that we're here for counsel, please. Because I know that this is hitting some people like... Like if this is the wound, that this is zeroing in right at the point where the bullet went in. I get that. I feel it. And I am sorry that you've walked through what you've walked through. And we want to help shepherd you through that. And I also want to say this. Jesus is not creating in this text a generation of doormats. His intent is not to go, okay, read this text and just let people steamroll you. Be apathetic and and let anarchy take over. I don't believe in any shape, form, or fashion, and I think I could back this up biblically, that Jesus is creating a a society where anarchy reigns and Christians Christians should just lay down and take the bullets. I don't think that's what he's doing at all. He is setting up and he's after their hearts. And we'll talk about that in just a second. In other words, I don't think he's saying, hey, Christians, suck it up and get beat up. I don't think that's what he's doing at all. So you need to hear that. But Jesus is addressing a society particularly of anything but doormats. Let me explain. What's going on in this culture 
you know their um, societal drive and everything that was given to them in the Old Testament of how society should work, which has now been crushed by the Romans. But what was given under the theocracy was an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. Yeah, so this was what was given to them. And it was a great societal plan. God gave that an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, meaning that... As things play out, the way that I'm going to order my society is, hey, we're, we're going to contribute to one another. We're going to be careful, and, and, and people's property is your property. We're going to live in community, and we're going to let this function out. And what they did was they took eye for eye and tooth for tooth, which could be an okay thing. And what they did is they took that, and then that became not eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, but eye for an eye and a tooth will cut your leg off. What it was for them was, we're going to be so careful and we're going to let our hearts grow callous and cold that if you take my deck of Uno cards, then I'm going to stick a sword right through your sternum. They blew it out of the water. In other words, I know some people are like, well, I've got a deck of Uno cards that got stolen. Can I do that? No, I hope you see my point. They, they took what was a good thing and they made it a God thing. They began to worship this ideology and their hearts grew stale. In other words, they no longer had any capacity to give mercy and love to another person. What was meant for societal good was something that they idolized and it became, I will take this and let it benefit me, 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 and nobody but me. Don't you dare get me. You see see what happened. So, as this is going on, Jesus is confronting this. He's, He's talking through this. And they wanted a Savior who would come in with a warrior's knife and live out eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. They wanted a savior who would come in as Jews and go, Jews, all right, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. The Romans came in, took your country. I'm going to come in and I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth as a soldier. That's what they wanted. They wanted a warrior's knife to come in. And Jesus is teaching this to say, hey, you got me all wrong. You don't need a warrior's knife. Because the world doesn't terminate here and now in this kingdom. You need somebody to come in with a surgical knife and to shave off the calluses of your own heart and to situate you for my kingdom. So he begins to speak to them and to show them what's going to transform their hearts. In other words, he's calling out a city within a city. That's what this text is calling us to be. To live in Northport, but to live as kingdom citizens. To live in Tuscaloosa, but live as kingdom citizens. To live in Gordo, but to live as kingdom citizens. To live in Northside, but to live as kingdom citizens. To live in Hillcrest, but to live as kingdom citizens. What cities have I forgotten? To live in Buell. (laughs) I don't know how you live out there, to be honest. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. But to live as, as kingdom citizens. To be a city within a city. In other words... 
If you're going to be marked as a city within a city, a city that benefits the city, a city that's for the good of the city, you have to look different than the city and you have to look like God's city. Full of grace, full of truth, but our hearts are palatable. He's calling out a generation whose hearts can understand societal justice and injustice properly, but can also genuinely love criminals. He's calling out a people who can see that redemption is just as possible for other people as it was for you. That's what he's calling that requires much mercy and much grace and much looking like Christ. In other words, he's calling out a city that will live out supernatural love. Which a lot of times is non-reciprocal love. In other words, to image and to model Christ. And Christ was the epitome of non-reciprocal love, wasn't he? Non-reciprocal simply meaning a one-way love. A love that gives and a love that speaks truth, knowing that that person may or may not give that love back. To live out a one-way love. Like, I know a lot of you guys, I get it. Please don't bolt, please don't bolt. You're going, no, no, no. Isn't that how Christ loved us? He loved giving everything, knowing, knowing that some would not return that love. But knowing that some would. And he said, it's worth it to display my love. And so he, he, he cries this out, this decree of this non-reciprocal love. He lived the sinless life, died the ju- unjust death, and he modeled, I'll love you, knowing that you may never reciprocate that. And then... He goes on, and he says, more so, and this is where it's going to get even tougher. He said, there's a danger in living a life that demands and values and identifies with reciprocal love. Now, this is completely foreign to anything we've ever heard. Because the whole world in America is built upon, you do good for me, and then I'll do good for you. You promote me, and I'll promote you. I'll be your friend if you'll be my friend. As a matter of fact, on the playground, isn't that what we say? Right? You're not my friend, so I'm, I'm not going to be your friend. And I still do that today. <laughs> Mainly because I play on playgrounds. But, now that sounded weird. No. <laughs> all in jest. That was all in jest. But we do fall into that category. And, and he says, listen, there's a danger of reciprocal love. I'm not saying that reciprocated love is a bad thing, but finding your identity and hope in whether or not somebody will reciprocate your love is an incredibly dangerous thing. Incredibly dangerous. So, let's look at this. Verses 32, 33, and 34. He's going to say reciprocal love, reciprocal good, and reciprocal lending are all of little value and of little benefits. And I hope you understand why we do all these circles and stuff because we want to teach you how to study the text for yourself. But you can see where we find everything at Safe Haven Church. <clears throat> so, love, good, and lending, if it's reciprocal, it's just of little value. 
And he emphasizes three times because even sinners do that. And I think he has a very clear point in mind that reciprocal love requires nothing supernatural. Reciprocal love is humanistic. It's, dare I say, animalistic. That's what animals do. If you go into the jungles of Africa, where monkeys are, you will find monkeys modeling reciprocated love. If you're of benefit to me, and you're able to give me some food or whatever, then you can be a part of my pack. But the moment that you come in and that you take away that food, then all kind of war breaks out, right? Lions do this. Hyenas. Hyenas do this. Good grief. You ever seen a pack of hyenas? Man, they are buddy-buddy when it's all, let's go get this tiger. That's how they walk when they're going to get a tiger. (laughs) And I know because we do indeed watch a lot of National Geographic at me and Julie Beth. When, when, anyway, all right, so. And that the hyenas, they go in after that tiger. But here's the thing. You've watched it. As they're eating the tiger, as soon as they accomplish the task together, what do they start doing? Biting at one another. They start warring with one another because now you were my, you were my, my partner, but now you're my enemy. So reciprocal love is just animalistic. It's humanistic. And he says even sinners do that and it can be incredibly dangerous. Again, when I say this, I'm talking about your identity in it. And if your identity is set up in reciprocal love, you're setting yourself up for heartache. Let me give you at least five reasons why. It'll be on the screen. Number one, because reciprocal love is destined to break down at some point as limited humans, right? At some point, humans fail other humans. Misunderstanding occurs. You can't emotionally or physically support that person anymore. You don't have any more money to give. And when that runs out, what happens is they begin to demonize you that you're no longer there for them. It's animalistic. It's reciprocal love that fails because we're humans. Number two, reciprocal love morphs love, good, giving into something that's merited or felt. I will love you if I feel like loving you. I will love you if you benefit me back rather than biblical love, which is a commitment. Biblical love is I will love you because I choose to be committed to loving you. That's what love is in Scripture. It's not a feeling. This is why people say, I fell out of love. You don't fall out of love. You choose to walk out of love. Something wasn't reciprocated, so you felt something. And then you responded to those feelings. And they're real feelings. I get it. Or, I don't feel like helping them. Because they don't ever help me back. Right? So then love is based upon what somebody does to you. Number three, reciprocal love allows your self-value to be dictated by others' rejection or acceptance of you. And that's probably the most dangerous. Your self-value in reciprocal love is dictated by another person. When your self-value should be rooted in Christ and Christ alone. That's who you are. A child, a beloved daughter. A citizen of heaven. Number four, reciprocal love turns others into investments. In other words, I will love them as long as I can trade them like the stock market to my benefit. Oh, snap. 
or goods for barter at a pawn shop. I will love you if I can take you to the pawn shop when I want something better and trade you in for something much nicer. That's reciprocal love. And then reciprocal love terminates the highest end of love, good giving at the earthly humanitarian level, again, or even animalistic. And I know that's getting philosophical for a lot of you. We have some parts of the service that are super shallow and then some parts that are super deep. We just kind of dove right off into the philosophical realm right there. But what I'm trying to say is this. Reciprocal love, if we're not careful, just turns into the Red Cross. And the Red Cross does some good stuff. They do some great stuff, but apart from the gospel, the stuff they do is of no eternal value. It feeds you for a minute, but the whole point at the beginning of the text was that minute is going to pass away and give way to eternity, and Christ is far more valuable there. None of this is of value anymore. So, however... When non-reciprocal love is on display, this supernatural cause, this highest end gets applause. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying live out the supernatural love, this otherworldly love, because when you do, something greater has changed you to do something that you could not do in and of yourself. It's birthed you. It's given you this otherworldly power to do something that's just not in you in and of your own. And so therefore, God alone gets the glory when you're merciful. God alone gets the glory when you live out this type of grace. God alone. And we all want to live for a higher purpose, don't we? You ready for this one? We all want to live for a higher purpose, don't we? Yes or no? Track with me when I say this. We all, as Christians, want to live for a higher purpose, right? He says, that's your higher purpose. Now the question is, do you want to live for that higher purpose? Sheesh. I didn't sign up for that when I read the text. (laughs) Lord, I just wanted to check it off and say I read through the Bible this year and not get my face pounded or my teeth kicked in. And that's what he says. Hey, he sifts the wheat from the chaff, don't he? And text like this makes us question, man, do I love like Christ or do I love like the world? Man, let's, let's keep going. John chapter 13, he says, They will know that you are to my disciples if you scream it. If you do what? Love. If you love one another. Not a people loving one another out of reaction to reciprocated love, but loving people out of competition to give non-reciprocal love, which, oddly enough, I've never seen two people who love non-reciprocally one another. I've never seen those type people break apart because they're competing to love each other like Christ. <laughs> and that's rock solid. Brother, that's countercultural. Let your brain wrap around that for a minute. Oprah ain't never going to say. Is Oprah still relevant? Uh, if Dr. Dr. Phil's gone, I don't know who the new people are. Kelly Clarkson is, I don't, who, whoever the new people are in Hollywood, they're probably not saying, hey, you want to stick together, then love non-reciprocally one another and compete to love each other that way. You just won't hear that. But thank you, Jesus. All right. And then he says there's a divine blessing of non-reciprocal love as we wrap it up. 
There's an exclusive blessing if you live this out. 35. So, because of all this, love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return. So, lest you think I'm making all this up, man, just underline that. Expect nothing in return. That's the culmination of the text, right? So let Christ supernaturally love flow out of you, not hopes of reciprocation, but let Christ's love flow out of you as an act of worship. And your reward will be great. This is the divine blessing. Your reward will be great. That reward by God, and oddly enough, by the other way that others will respond to you. Let's keep going. And the other blessing, you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and evil. So be merciful even as your Father is merciful. In other words, you will prove out the citizenship that we started this whole message with when you prove out that your heavenly DNA has been transformed and you love like Christ and you give like Christ and you lend like Christ expecting nothing in return. So that was the divine blessings. Let's finish with the top seven practical blessings that you can have today on January the 14th. They'll be on the screen. That'll pop straight up. I I do seven. There's probably way more. I just like seven because I'm OCD. So here's at least seven practical blessings if we live this out. Number one, Anytime you pull this off, you will know for a fact that you didn't do it on your own. And that's a blessing. Because that gives us assurance of the Spirit's presence in our lives. When you love like Christ, you can rest assured that you didn't do it. And you go, thank you, Lord, for the presence of the Spirit in my life. Number two, supernatural, non-reciprocal love frees you from Googling yourself. Checking for likes. And having to respond. Like right now, I don't Google myself. Well, you might not today. But have you Googled yourself? Like, am I on the internet? Am I on the interwebs? Did they like that post? Do I have to respond when you live not... It frees you from all that garbage. Number three, it evicts people who are living rent-free in your head. It evicts them. Get out. You will not live rent-free in my head because I don't love you to get love back from you. I love you because Christ called me to love you, whether you love me back or not. Get out. You're booted out of my head. Number four, it prevents you from trying to be someone else's savior. Watch it. Or trusting in them as your savior. Number five, You can burn your record of wrongs that you've been keeping. You've been heaping them up, haven't you? You got them record of wrongs? If you embrace Christ's non-reciprocal love, you can burn that list. Number six, it gives you liberty from the contingencies that you hold over people. And you go, I don't have any contingencies that I hold over people. Well, how about this? They didn't talk to me. They didn't invite me. They didn't like my post. They didn't say thank you. They didn't approve of me. They didn't offer first. They didn't apologize. They didn't just know. Women, by the way, men never just know. Like, you need to tell us. Okay? They didn't get me this. They didn't buy me that. They didn't show up on time. They didn't remember. They didn't text me or call me back. They ghosted me. (laughs) <laughs> Which is a funny one because I was talking to somebody this week who had been ghosted 
who by somebody and the person came up and said, you know that I've ghosted you. And they said, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's somebody who's not letting them live. Re- I love that. They didn't care to my level of expectation. They didn't say happy birthday. They didn't say hey. They didn't give me a hug. They didn't show up on time. They just walked right by me. You ever uttered any of those? It's a contingency. Let them go. And then number seven. Opportunities abound for you when you embrace this to image your king. And that type of evangelism is contagious. When we love like Christ's love, non-reciprocally, people go, that is strange. And oddly, I dig it. I dig it. As the band comes back up. The beauty of this passage is that Jesus is not just teaching teachings to make us go, things that make me go, hmm. He's setting the ball on the tee because where do we see that love modeled most? In his life. He's going, I'll live this out. All of you going, that's impossible. He'll go, I'll live it out. Because I know you won't live it out. And you'll need a substitute to cover you when you don't live it out. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. This is displayed on the cross, isn't it? One way love. I will love you as you pierce my wrists and my feet. I'll still love you. This is displayed in the tomb. I will love you when you stuff the creator of the universe in a hole and I'm going to bust that sucker wide open (laughs) but I'll still love you it was displayed in the resurrection I'm here to show myself to you I achieved and conquered death and I'm not going to come out with lightning bolts zapping everybody but I'm going to give lightning bolts of love to you that's a one way love it was displayed in the ascension I'm going up To prepare a place for, say it out loud, for you. Not me. I already own the kingdoms. I already own the world. But I'm going to give it to you, kingdom citizens. And then at the consummation, when he comes back, This is where the charismatic will come out in me. There's not much, but there's some. (laughs) When he comes back and he busts on the scene, it is a one-way love still. I am here to embrace my children who do not deserve me, but just because of my one-way love for them, enter into eternity. Let's pray together. What a text, Lord. What a text. Thank you, Jesus, that texts like this remind us that you are not just saving us from Satan, sin, and death. But most importantly, you are saving us from ourselves.
enter into a time of prayer. There's cards on the seats. Last week I took up cards that I pray through all year long. If there's a way that I can pray for you, please fill out a way that I can pray for you and put your name on it. And I'll carry those with me all year long at ballparks, hopefully the beach, in the office, and I'll pray for you all year. And you can fill one of those out and you can place it on the altar here. And I'll take that and I'll pray for you. Maybe you need to take that card and just write out. Maybe you need to release, Lord, release these people and then stick that in your Bible as a reminder. I know we ripped off some scabs, I get it. And maybe during this time of prayer, I'm going to be standing down here, Jim, if you would come down as well. Stand over here by this communion table. Jim will be standing over there. I'll be standing over here. And if you just want somebody to pray with you, you don't even have to say what's going on, but maybe you're just going, yep, I just need somebody to pray that the Lord gives me that type of love. We'll just pray over you. We'll We'll just pray love over you. Maybe you need to stand up. Maybe you need to get on your knees. Maybe you need to come to the altar. Let's have a time of movement in prayer. Maybe you need to walk across the room and to love somebody and just pray over them that the Lord brings to mind. We'll have three minutes at least of just music and a time of prayer responding to the text. Lord Jesus, have your way as we respond. Give us your love.